From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. It is great to be back with you. We had great comments and feedback from our last episode and we wanted to kind of continue this conversation. Uh, We're honestly going to... uh, going to carry on with the conversation of race, but we're going to really focus on uh, ethnocentrism specifically. That's a word that I think we need to define and probably talk about. Uh, But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, I need to introduce everyone who is in the room. I'm Scott Armstrong, like I said, but to my left, AJ Fry. Hey, guys. To his left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. Across from me, Natalie Franco. How are you guys? And to the right of me, Chelsea Fry. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact, Barbados has a shipwreck off of one of its coasts that has lots of fish and sea turtles. And I know this because I swam there. Ooh. <laughs> she is bringing it today. Yeah. <laughs> my fun fact is my own. <laughs> now, wait a second. I've never known, all the time that we've known each other, that you were in Barbados. Yes, I am a professional scuba diver. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, that's a lie. I didn't even go. Scootering. I went snorkeling and I was terrified because I thought there was a shark. <laughs> but what led you to, bar- to do Barbados? Our honeymoon. We uh, went on a cruise. Yes. <laughs> we didn't even know this either. I've been to most of the Cari- the Southern Caribbean islands. It was our it was our favorite destination on that cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Probably for me, it was because of the shipwreck. Like we swam right over that shipwreck and we saw turtles and fish and stuff. So oh it was a lot of goodness. fun. Oh my goodness. Well, we Something don't... Dario does every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, we haven't introduced him. Oh. And, and speaking, speaking of Dario. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the last episode, man, we got such good feedback. And plus we love Dario anyway. So we decided we wanted to invite uh, Reverend Dario Richards back. Rem- uh, reminder, he is a pastor and he lives in Barbados with his lovely wife, Linda, and son, Caleb, who is 16 months old right now. And uh, we are just excited to have you back. So thank you for being a part of the last episode. And you're going to help us bringing different perspectives for for this episode as well. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? I know we kind of dived in last time and didn't really get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So my name is Dario, Dario Richards. I'm married to Linda Richards. And we have one baby boy, Caleb. Um, Linda's from Guyana. Uh, we met at Bible School in Trinidad. <laughs> um, we both live here in Barbados where we pastor a local church um, together. Um, the active membership is, it could be about between 40 to 60 persons. Um, we also served as the global mission coordinators um, in the field, the Caribbean field, working with Scott and Emily for uh, for quite a few years, um, trying to help in the process of mobilizing uh, Caribbean missionaries. They, I think, are probably what defined part of my passion in that. Um, I sometimes feel as though we in the region live below our potential, and uh, just seeking to see how I, how we could contribute to Caribbean individuals, whether that be leaders or missionaries, maximizing their potential and really being all that God has called us to be. Um, so that's a bit about me. Listeners of our podcast will uh, know that we're all about mobilizing people in mission. And uh, we have seen really in the last seven to eight years that the Caribbean islands uh, and the Caribbean nations have been able to mobilize, especially youth, but really uh, people of all ages uh, in some pretty cool ways. So uh, and that's in great part to you and Linda. So 
Thank you for that. Uh, let's dive into the topic. And the topic of today is ethnocentrism. Uh, so let's kind of just, we've read some articles and talked uh, about this in preparation for this, but what would you guys say is ethnocentrism? Maybe not as Merriam-Webster would say, or maybe not as the dictionary would define it, but what would you say? Uh, well, I actually don't know the actual definition, but to me, ethnocentrism is believing that one ethnicity is superior to others or even subconsciously um, thinking that my own ethnicity is the right way, the only way, the best way. And so like, for instance, I see that in like the way that the U.S., because that's my culture, is different from the Dominican Republic and how much better it is. That would be ethnocentrism. I hope that I am constantly combating that and not mm -hmm. actively participating <laughs> in it, but um, that would be an example that I would have. I think it's important what you said that it's it can be subtle. It's not that you consciously are saying we're better than everybody else, right. but it is saying our nation, you know, or our culture is uh, is better. And you just feel it. It comes out in attitudes. It comes out in the ways that you just perceive things. Um, yeah. Anybody else want to kind of help define that? Yeah, I would just say not necessarily a definition, but um, this is one of those when we think about like missiology 101 concepts, like when you're trying to think about what is some of the foundational pieces of being a missionary or training somebody to be a missionary. Um, this ethnocentrism is something that goes across all platforms. And um, I know that Scott and I having the ability of training missionaries for so many years that this this is the concept that we have to recognize that everybody has this built into them. Mm -hmm. That like this is something that you don't choose. This isn't something that um, that is like, oh, an optional piece. It tends to be more of it, it tends to be something that is just lying underneath the surface that you don't even know is there until you start learning about it. And somebody mm -hmm. says, start pointing it out and start intentionally mm -hmm. living in this tension mm -hmm. because this is a piece of who you are. Um, and so I think that's why it's a really important conversation for this podcast as well, because we want to be that missional church and, and have that understanding. Well, Emily, that, that's really important what you just said. And it kind of reminds me some of our conversation in the last episode and then in this episode has caused me to think of, well, in anthropology, we call it the iceberg analogy of missions, right? Or of culture, that's right? So cold. Yeah, and, and that's, it's, it's cold. Yeah, well, that, that's interesting too. Yeah, Natalie's like, "What's an iceberg?" Yeah. <laughs> I know that because of Titanic. Oh, because of the Titanic. 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 Yes. Titanic yes. I think that's why most people know an ice, what an iceberg is. The Titanic movie. Yes. What a well, great example. Well, so I think AJ, you have this pulled up. Rich Velotis is a multicultural pastor. I should say a pastor of a multi-ethnic and multicultural church in Queens, New York. And uh, I saw this on Twitter and yeah, kind of describe it for our listeners. Yeah. So this iceberg uh, metaphor is taking from actual icebergs and they say that what you see on the surface is a very small percentage of what the actual iceberg is. So like 10% of what you see on the surface of the water, above the water, is only like 10% of the whole iceberg. And so that's a great analogy for culture as well, because the things that you see in culture, even when we talk about uh, racism or ethnocentrism, 
what you see is only about 10% of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's things like uh, like hate crimes or racial slurs or, for example, like the KKK or lynchings and things like that. What you see in culture is just 10% of the actual issue. What you don't see underneath could be things like um, biases or racist jokes or uh, this discrimination or police brutality. These things that go way deep um, sometimes have gone back for years of just building up this thing. And some of this is in us and we don't even know it. Um, that's that's the 90% that's under the water of this iceberg. Yeah. And so that's kind of the iceberg metaphor. Yeah. I That metaphor is something, the iceberg is something we use in missionary like training all the time because like to really learn about another culture, you have to get past the 10% that you see and you have to start understanding the 90%. But the 90% is where it takes the intentionality and the education Mm -hmm. and where do I go deeper and where do I dig? And understanding that part of ethnocentrism means I'm reading books, means one of the biggest things that I remember that Scott did when we, I think we still were in language school or, or the very beginning of our career, he started asking people, what literature do I need to read to understand Central Americans? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why would you read Spanish? We don't even speak Spanish, <laughs> you know? And and he was like, well, it's just something I want to know, like what their authors are thinking and and how they've been formed in theirs. Like, what is their main classical literature? What are, what, how are they being formed? And I remember just learning so much from him doing that of, you know, digging into some of these things that take time in order to do. And I feel like that's a little bit about where we're at in the discussions of racial reconciliation. Um, and even when we were going to plan this podcast, we were like, oh, well, th- this, you know, is maybe something that's super current. Who knows where it's going to be when it comes out? Some of you that have listened before know that, you know, behind the scenes, we record a couple uh, episodes all at the same time. But I intentionally told Scott, I think this is where exactly the church needs to sit in this conversation of we are digging in and doing the hard work. We're not just going to say we're going to do a social media post, you know, that that lasts for six days. Mm -hmm. And then like we just go back on to normal life because to literally get into this and say we are understanding culture means that I am going to read books. I'm going to listen to stories. I am going to allow my heart to be broken (laughs) because my brothers and sisters have broken hearts. And those are uncomfortable places to be. Those are uncomfortable places to be. And as a church, we are called to the uncomfortable places. And, um, And my tears come out because God has been convicting me on so many things that as a missionary, that, that I have been intentionally trying to get past and through and allow God to work in me and in my heart. And, and I believe this iceberg is something that we have been teaching for so many years. And in this image, we'll connect it to our, to our notes because there are things that are on this image that Rich gives us on racism of the things that I've been able to see for my 40 years on this earth. But seeing the things on the bottom that are like, maybe I've heard them, but I've not understood them. I've not sought to understand them. I've not listened to the stories. Um, and I think that that's where we need to be. That's where I am as a member of his church is saying, I'm digging in and I'm going hard and I want to understand the 90%. I just don't want Mm -hmm. to be content with the 10% that I can see. 
Well, and that's why a lot of us can say, you know, well, I'm not racist or no, I don't think my culture is the best because Mm -hmm. we think of it just as the 10%. But we haven't done the hard work of diving deeper and saying there's a whole lot of stuff that just we we're not even conscious of that just shapes our thinking and our viewing of other cultures. Yeah. Yeah. We are reading AJ and I are reading a book on racial reconciliation and the author is a as an African American author, and um, what's interesting about her perspective is she actually grew up in a more Caucasian neighborhood, and she went to a school where she was one of five um, people of different color. And so her perspective is very interesting because when she was in middle school, her parents got divorced, and her mother moved into a predominantly African American neighborhood. And so it's interesting as we talk about ethnocentrism. She didn't fit in in her first neighborhood because she was a different skin color. Then when she moved, she also didn't fit in Mm -hmm. in the African-American community because she talked white is what they said. Mm -hmm. And uh, she didn't play games that they knew how to play. And so like ethnocentrism isn't as tied to skin color as it is tied to culture. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's important for the church as a whole to recognize, especially as a Nazarene church, when we say we are a global denomination, if we are going to own that title, we have to recognize that we have people living in different cultures in the same area. Mm -hmm. And we need to be flexible enough and aware enough and intentional enough to say like we need to go down into the 90 percent for every culture represented in our area Mm -hmm. it's not just the one that's the most dominant in front of our eyes so it's it's just interesting um for me to think about that i remember at a point uh feeling and i think i shared this uh, with you and emily at some point while I was with you guys, that the Church of the Nazarene, sometimes, obviously, we're a global organization, um, but sometimes it could feel as though it is really an American organization with international satellites, which is two completely different things. You know, there's a difference between being a global organization and being an American organization with satellites in international spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, The outcome of those two things are radically different, you know? And I think that's part of the problem that we, we we begin by defining, when we begin to define who we are and begin to talk about what does it mean to be, whether it be a Nazarene in Barbados, a Nazarene in Dominica, in Dominican Republic, or just a Christian in these spaces, is there the appreciation really for the culture that we are in? Or is it, again, as we talked about, I think previously, is it that we are bringing, yes, Jesus to save, but then culture to fix? And that isn't just an American thing. That's a human thing. You know, we always think that we have it the best way. You, you see it in marriage, you know, you get married. And I think that how I wash the dishes is better than how Linda washes the dishes. You know, <laughs> I think that where I put my shoes is better than really Linda puts her shoes and she needs to fall in. It's a, it's a human reality that just goes all the way to a cultural level. Um, but I think from a, a church perspective uh, that we have to be clear on, are we global or are we just international? Because those two differences define what we look like, what we celebrate, what we encourage, what we try to extract from uh, where we are planted and rooted. So, yeah, that's good. I um, too am encouraged by 
the global church and even in the, I mean, I've been a member of the Church of the Nazarene for 40 years and not 40 years. I'm 43 years old. I was not a member when I was 30, (laughs) but I have seen the way that we have grown and embraced concepts that are maybe difficult and hard. And uh, one thing that Scott and I speak to frequently is the diversity of our general superintendents. And uh, we appreciate the fact that our delegation is willing to say, We recognize that multicultural anything is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and we have to listen a lot and we have to figure things out that there's no manual for it. And uh, and in the past 10 to 15 years, I've seen spaces begin to open up. And that is by no means any way to say that we have arrived and we have no more work to do. But I am encouraged to be a part of the Nazarene Church of wearing a global title of... um, working towards that and uh, and having some open conversations. And my prayer is that we continue to listen and and understand and construct and and really I just I just pray that God uses the Nazarene church and our core values of Christian and holy and missional to be like this is what my kingdom on earth looks like. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really do just just pray that that as the Nazarene church that we step into this space that I really feel like God is like ripping a hole in in what is the timeline of racial reconciliation and is saying, so church, here's your chance. And and I've positioned you and Nazarene church, you have leadership all over the world and you have people all over the world that speak into these things. And, and, and we have come together. And so like, now's your time to shine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's been my prayer is that, Mm -hmm. that we start shining in the diversity of who we are and and we recognize God's kingdom come Mm -hmm. on this earth as it is in heaven. That would be amazing. Let's get a a little deeper into the concept of ethnocentricity and let's talk about, I mean, we talked about our church. We are happy. We've seen quite the change in the last 20 years, Uh, but let's talk about just how this kind of deeper level, the 90% below the surface can look or can manifest itself in the church. Do we have any experiences on that? Actually, yes. I remember when I was on my way to third wave, this youth international congress in India. Well, some friends of us, we decided to make stops because it was, it was really hard to go to India, like two days in a row. So we decided, decided to make stops so we can take a rest a a little bit. (laughs) But even though we decided that I, before arriving in India, I couldn't sleep for two days, like good, just three hours or less than that. So when I arrived to the airport, I was so tired and I, I was like, okay, Nati, you need to drink coffee. You need to do something <laughs> because the, the youth of Dominican Republic depend on what you're gonna like, <laughs> like you need to learn no everything. Yes. <laughs> because you have to go back to your country and say everything you learn. So you need to be awake. So I saw this beautiful coffee shop in the airport and I went there straight like to buy my coffee. And I was behind this Indian and he finished his order and I was about to order mine. I was pointing at the coffee I wanted and suddenly another Indian came mm. and he was just, I want this in his language, of course. Mm. And I was like, okay, I, I wanted to, you know, to say what I wanted, but okay. And then when he finished, I tried to 
order, but I couldn't because another one came. Mm. So I saw this and I was like, hold on. In my mind, I thought, but even in Dominican Republic, this is better. Like, mm. like there is an order. I thought that. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. it was a nocentrism. And I just took my culture, what I've seen of my culture as a point of reference. Yeah. And I judged them mm. because yeah. of that. And after that, I just, I was thinking, especially when we're, when I was thinking about ethnocentrism, it was not their fault. I mean, they are not bad. They didn't do anything bad. It is just a different reality. Mm -hmm. I cannot judge them because mm -hmm. of that. Thank you for your honesty. That reminds me when we were in Guatemala, I mean, Emily, thank you for, you for your kind words on, oh, I was just immersing myself in the culture and even reading their their poets and their, you know, and I, it's interesting. I was explicitly trying to do that, intentionally trying to do that, but there were still things in me that were ethnocentric. And I'll give you an example. We would go to restaurants and we would sit there and you need to know people that are listening to this that are from the United States know that in the United States, time is money. We literally say that. And so in restaurants, I, I was a waiter, a, a waiter in a restaurant. So we were taught as waiters and waitresses that we needed to, you know, just gently talk to them and say, okay, uh, hey, can I get you anything else? Well, here's the check. Just don't, it, no, no hurry. Just when you, and there's just subtle ways that you just know to, to make sure you get new people in there. That's more money for the restaurant and for you and more tips, right? So all of that is just ingrained. And we go to Guatemala and I mean, we are sitting in restaurants and you cannot find the waiter. You have to get up, you have to search, you have to literally go back into the back in some of these restaurants. And you have to be like, hey, like literally we need more water. No one was even walking around asking us that, you know? And initially I just was like, this is the worst service I have ever experienced. This is terrible, you know? And gradually, it wasn't in an instant, but I realized, well, we are in a culture that prioritizes the relationship. It's not about money. It's not about, why would a waiter be consistently hovering over you asking if you need water? No, you're with your family. This is a special time. You're with your friends out at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Why would they ever come to you and interrupt that special moment? The, you'll let them know. You can let them know if you need water. You will let them know when you are ready to pay the check, you know? And that was like something that dawned on me that I was like, oh, I'm still dealing with this. Like, mm -hmm. I know I'm a missionary. I know I have the title of, oh, this person should be an expert in culture and and uh, certainly in, in in Christian, you know, attitudes and, you know, and a holiness even we could say. But there was still some deep stuff in me that was like, Immediately judging, just like you said, not the, you mm -hmm. know, just immediately judging. And well, clearly they don't know what they're doing and we're better. And the mm -hmm. other side of that is now when we go back to the States, we're like, hey, I'm not done with my plate yet when they're taking it away. <laughs> like, we didn't call you over. So. Yeah. Like we've swung to the other side now. Yeah. It's true. Becoming like multicultural and then having the reverse culture right. shock of like, chill out, man. I have three more bites. You don't have to clean up my plate. Yeah. So any other examples of just kind of how that's come out in our life or in the church or things that we've seen? 
Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in my own life, and I use this, we've been missionaries for 17 years now, but I still look at like driving in traffic patterns and like, oh, this would never happen this way in the United States. And it's reinforced every time somebody comes from the United States and is in a car with me, you know, it's like, oh, how do you handle it? I realize how much more I've gotten used to it because I don't judge it as much anymore. But one thing that I remember even our kids saying is we have a friend that takes them to school and they said, and his name is Jose. And uh, I remember Elijah saying, yeah, whenever things like this happen, you know, like, and I'm in the car with mom and dad, like we freak out. We're like, why did that guy do that or whatever? But Jose is always like, ha ha, that guy. You know? <laughs> but it just made me realize, I mean, and that was after 10 years of being in countries that don't function the same way, but like these things that are underlying of, of what we've known to be the right way and the wrong way, that that there are things that just sit there and they are things that you intentionally, you know, 15, 16, 17 years later are the things that still are like, okay, God, oh, continue to open my mind, continue to not give me that judgmental spirit. I think that's uh, an important thing to remember also when we're trying to confront our own ethnocentrism or if, if we're sent to another place or another, even another community, um, to do ministry in that place, uh, we will confront this ethnocentrism. I think the thing to remember, though, is that yes, we can. The pendulum can be on one side in that we see we see one culture or one group of people as as superior to another, but then we can also swing it to the other side and see. Well, no, everything that this culture that we're, we've just been placed in, they're doing it right. You know, they're doing mm. the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to find that middle space that is the biblical space. Yes. Like there are still, I don't know how to say, like there are still things that are wrong mm -hmm. uh, according to the Bible, right? According, in every culture. In every mm -hmm. culture. And so we have to find this middle space of like, how do we recognize those things that are, that are sinful but then how do we also recognize those things mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily sinful? They're just different. They're neutral. Mm -hmm. Right. They're neutral. Yeah. And I think that's that's the space that we as uh, as Christians uh, need to live in is this middle space. And it's uncomfortable, like you said. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's this continual like tug of war between, between the two pieces. Dr. Charles Gailey, uh, an anthropologist, a Nazarene uh, missionary in Swaziland for 12 years before he was my professor. I remember him saying exactly what you're saying, that anthropologists, especially Christian anth anthropologists, will have noticed that in every culture, maybe they would say there's approximately 5% of things that are intrinsically, like within the culture, redemptive, just actual like reflections of God's likeness in that culture, you know? And then there are 5% that are just like intrinsically like that's antithetical to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then there's 90% of things that are neutral. Now, mm -hmm. when we first get to the place, we're like, oh man, I mean, I think probably there's 70% that's bad because, <laughs> because this culture is driving me crazy, you know? But they just say, no, a lot of what we think is terrible is actually just neutral. And that's interesting that you mentioned that. Yeah, I think um, for me, some of my, my best, you know, examples in this space was probably when we started doing work in Central America. Uh, obviously prayer, you know, we became merged um, to the Mesoamerica region. And just this general sense of not seeing how it could work because of the cultural differences. 
Um, but then we had the opportunity to go to Central America and do wishes twice, which is actually like some of the craziest experiences that I had in life. <laughs> uh, the first one to Nicaragua, and this is where my, you know, my old culture came in, is we get to the location, you know. And obviously in the, in the Caribbean, we are, big, we are British, American, you know, nice buildings, you know. FAS, we're going to invite people over. We're going to find a retreat center, make sure the beds are comfortable enough, you know, at least the bathrooms. There's good division for the meals and the females, you know. And then we're going to have a ministry plan. We're going to go and evangelize. We drove from the airport for like four or five hours, which is, I mean, you could drive around Barbados in an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And then we arrived at this house. It's literally a house. There's two bedrooms, two bathrooms. The bathrooms don't have doors. The bathrooms had like the um, shower curtain, right? And there's 23 of us. And I'm here with Milton. Everyone knows Milton. Milton drops us off. He says, okay, you're staying here. You're going to plant a church here. He's like, oh, what do you mean? Where are we going to plant? You're going to plant a church in the house that you're staying, and I have to go. <laughs> he gets in his car, and he drives to Guatemala. <laughs> For those that don't know, Guatemala is about 14 hours away from, from where they were in Nicaragua. Uh, and we 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 have um like four others, two people from Nicaragua, somebody from Honduras with business as well. Um, all there are no beds; they're just like these sleeping bags. There are twenty-two of us. We have to divide. Oh, and the house has no windows, so like like they're just the front door and the back door. There are no windows. And I'm sitting, I stand at the TV there and I'm looking at this like, what madness am I going to mess into? And I mean, I mean, it was crazy. We, we divided, obviously, male and female. All of the girls are packed in this one room. There's like 14 of them stacked in this room. All the males stacked in this other room. We needed to regulate how you go to the bathroom because when you walk past the door, obviously the girls' window, the girls' room has no window. So they have to put their towels up, you know, to block out anybody's skin. And in the first couple of days, I'm like, what, what is this? You know, like, I am, this is, this is crazy. Like, if you came to the Caribbean, I would never do this to you, you know? But as time went on, you began to realize it was actually one of the best experiences that we had. Actually, I think the church that we planted in the house is still there today. It's still functioning today. You know, but it took like two days for me to get my mind in the space of like, okay, Daria, honestly, it really ain't that bad. You know, <laughs> like you would do something different, but this isn't, you know, this isn't that bad either. And we really had a good experience. And that was connected again with Milton. We landed and we were doing this sports ministry thing with him. And his plan was for us to go to three Central American countries over two week period. So we would land in one, we would land, we landed in Honduras, we would do two days of ministry. On the third day, we would drive to the next country, then do two days of ministry. It was the craziest thing that I have ever done. <laughs> you know, I, I said that to say there were some of the negative ends, but it was as a result of that trip, of those two combined trips, that I actually grew a greater appreciation for the Central America component of our field. Because before, and, it, and it's also out of ignorance, you know, I, because I had never experienced it the way that I did, I was fully convinced that it could not work, that there could be no sense of proper unity, proper function, proper working together. But it wasn't until I actually experienced it. I actually, 
um, try to feel and to engage, you know, and do the good missionary thing and try to embrace the culture. But after I left, I realized, oh, it's not that bad, you know, it's just, you can work with this, you know, so. Yeah, and I know you were so formed by that, Dario, because I remember talking to you after that second experience and you're like, we need to get more people involved in experiences like this. And like you came back with this huge plane to do like intercultural exchange, you know, like so Caribbean and Latin America could, uh, Central America, excuse me, could like have this exchange plan. So I know that that was real formative for you. That's awesome to hear your side of the story again. Yeah, it was. Well, that kind of brings us to how can we combat ethnocentrism in our lives. We already mentioned one thing right here, Dario, your story. Hey, it wasn't until I was on their turf. It wasn't until I truly understood them on their terms, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can seek, sometimes it's going to be through actually traveling, sometimes going, I mean, truly going on missions trips. And I would say it's better those missions trips that put you in the real life than those tourism mission trips, you know, mm -hmm. that actually take you to a place where you just safely go out and help the people and then come back for, you know, to your hotel and your nice, your nice setup, you know, you know, that's going to give you an appreciation. What are some other ways that we can war against this intentionally, uh, war against this ethnocentricity that's in us? I think it's important to acknowledge that it exists in all of us. We talked at the, the the top of this episode about the fact that it's built in our culture. And so, like Emily said, all of us have it and it's just what you're you're born knowing. And so I think acknowledging it is a really mm -hmm. big deal mm -hmm. um, and then being intentional to seek out different opinions and different cultures and different ethnicities than you yourself or your surrounding family. Something that has been happening after that moment in India was try to act like the locals. So uh, what I'm trying to do after that is just to get involved, like to try to do what they do, to try to, mm -hmm. to do the things the same way they do it. And I remember in India, I, I was able to eat even with my hands. Mm. So this is something good. So even though in my country, I will never do something like that. And maybe we can think, oh, my country is better because I can eat with forks and everything. Well, when you try to do the way they do it, then you try to under understand why they do it. And then I don't know why you feel this respect for everything they are and mm. you find beauty in the difference. Mm. So that's what I pretty much I'm doing. Try to do the same way, everything they do. Mm. Yeah. And you assume the position of learner. Like everything, that's what I hear mm -hmm. in, in what you're saying, Natalie, is you go in and just say, I'm here to learn. Yeah. I'm here to learn. I'm here mm -hmm. to learn. And that's, again, Missiology 101. Mm -hmm. Go in as the learner, not as the teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that you can start to see, see some of these things that you want to adopt into your own life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is hope. There, we can get past this. It isn't something that you flip a switch. But as we listen, as we read, as we experience uh, with other people and other cultures, uh, what you know, what differences can actually enrich our own lives, and we we start that ethnocentrism starts to starts to come down. We start to realize it, and then we start to correct it. Dario, do you have maybe a final word for us as we conclude this time? Yeah, I just mentioned two things quickly. I think one of the things to help combat it is seeing missions beyond just the biblical component, but also understanding history and culture. 
just trying to have an understanding of where some of these things started is, I think, is important. I think a simple example is like in Guyana, which is one of the most racially conflicting countries in our part of the world, in the Caribbean. When you trace where the division between the Black and the Indians started, it was actually coming out of slavery. You know, like after the Blacks received slavery, they wanted to work for their wages. They went back to the slave masters and said they were willing to continue working as long as they're paid properly. The slave masters said, no, we're going to bring indentured slaves from India. They brought those in those slaves, paid them more money, give them more benefits than the, the Blacks. And then eventually all of the slave owners left, but that rift is already created. Blacks and Indians don't want to mesh. So when you trace it to the root, you're better able then to begin to address and to understand, okay, this is why this is the way it is, et cetera. Especially on the things that we believe are not necessarily biblical. Uh, my, my last thought I, I will add is, I think that Jesus and the Samaritan woman that they well, just like a perfect example of how we can really um, deal and wrestle with these types of issues. You know, I think that's a perfect space where we see this whole idea of grace and truth coming to play where Jesus is gracious enough to go out of his way to meet her. You know, it wasn't necessary that he had to be there. He was willing to make himself uncomfortable to meet this woman at the well. But more than that, to see, to see themselves as equals to some degree to the point where the woman literally asked Jesus, uh, why are you talking to me? You know, like Jews don't associate with Samaritans, you know, like, like acknowledging Jesus's willingness to, to become an equal, you know, to communicate with as an equal. And that's where we see God's grace in play, going out of his way to meet with people and treating them as equals. But on the flip side, we see that Jesus also addressed, you know, the truth component. He addressed her insecurity. You know, he addressed the fact that, you know, there was, the, the woman had, you know, these have husbands. He addressed her um, wrong perspective of what worship truly is. He addressed the issues that she had, but that was not done before he was gracious enough to break the ice by showing his willingness to go out of his way, his willingness to, to acknowledge that they're equals that they even ask her for water. Mm. Um, so I think those are, that's, that's a good idea that we can apply in this field. How can we be, um, how can we display both grace and truth? How can we go out of our way to meet with people? let people see and know that we view ourselves as equal and even how can we, you know, express and allow them to serve us as well. You know, like we're not only there to serve people, we're not there to save people, we're there to serve. And in our serving, sometimes we need serving as well, you know, but we behave as though we can serve them, but they can't serve us. I can offer you a cup of water, but no, I'll get mine when I get home because my water at home is better than what you can offer me, you know? Uh, how do we be gracious enough in that fear, in that space? And then how do we be even equally effective in our display of truth, calling out um, lies in the culture, calling out wrongs in the culture, but again, in a way that people can see the graciousness in our delivery. Um, and I think that's a perfect example of how we could how we could operate, you know, in that space. That's excellent. Jesus was not satisfied with just kind of talking on the surface level. She wanted to go there. She just wanted to be on the surface level. Let's not go deeper. But he said, no, let's go deeper in, in, with regards to, to religion, culture, everything. And, and I mean, entire people groups were changed because of that.
Emily, man, this has been amazing. These last few episodes have been so good. Uh, if people want to join the conversation, where can they find us and where can they get a hold of us? Yeah, you can find us on www.mesoamericagenesis.org. Or if you want to send us your comments or your messages, we would recommend that you find us on the Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. Awesome. Dario, do you have anything to promote? Uh, you you want to tell us where the people can get a hold of you? You can find me on Facebook, <laughs> just Dario Richards. I mean, I don't have anything right now to promote right now, but if you wanted to, to, to reach out to me, um, I'm on Facebook, Dario Richards, or you could probably just email me, send me an email. It is mrdarioRichards at gmail.com. Um, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Mr. Dario Richards at Gmail. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to end with this. I just was thinking Ephesians 3.20. I normally have thought of this as a very wonderful blessing, a benediction that Paul gives the Ephesian church. Uh, but I've, I've thought of it, especially with regards to me personally. But as I was looking and as I was reading this blessing, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine. That's not just for my own blessing. This is not just he can do immeasurably more in my personal life. This is after he has talked about uh, unity amongst races and people groups and uh, male and female and slave and free and uh, Jew and Greek. And, and he's saying this is a God that can do immeasurably more. So let me just kind of give that as a as a blessing to end us here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good way to end. Thank you all for your time. We are the Worthless Servants and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm Chelsea Fry. And from Barbados, we have... Dario Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a part of these last few episodes. And uh, man, we'll be praying for you and we love you very much. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.